Welcome, Welcome to Bonehead. Bonehead. We didn't even say it right. Welcome to Bonehead. Today we have an absolute special treat for you. It's another one of the great production people out there. A storyboard artist who is... Peter William Von Schally. Pete Von Schally to his friends, so we call him Mr. Von Schally. Yes. <laughs> no, sir. We call um, him Sir, yes, how high yeah. shall we jump? Uh, if you have uh, know nothing about him, you should know something about him. He worked on Nightmare on Elm Street films. Dark Man. Dark Man. Uh, all the, the Darabont Stephen King trilogy of Shawshank, Green Mile, and The Mist. Absolutely. On top of that, my fascination with him go, starts with the fact that he created and worked with Timothy Leary on a Timothy Leary-based comic book. On uh, top of all the other interesting people that he has known and met, one being Bernie Wrightson. Yeah, and also he had uh, <laughs> Charlie Band. So this man has covered tons of... Forms of entertainment, animation, live action, comic books. Uh, he's still bringing books out, so From stay involved. From G.I. Joe to the real Ghostbusters. Stay Here's tuned. our interview. Hey, my name's Joe Lewis. You and Nina. And I'm Chad. James. <laughs> James. And we're going to introduce... Uh, Peter William Von Schally. Am I saying your last name correct? Yeah, yeah Von Schally. It's pronounced the way it looks. Okay. okay, yeah. I thought I actually threw my finger to Chad to make sure that I because I did not want to butcher it and I actually forgot to ask him right before we started how to say your last name. So I didn't want to be <clears throat> you know, you don't want to be rude, right? <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. How did you get started? Where 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 did you grow up and then how did you end up in the movie business? Uh, my father was in, I was born in New York City, and we moved immediately a lot of places. My dad was in the Army, so we lived all over the place. And the thing that we had, we lived in Japan and Hawaii and Maryland um, and um, uh, Virginia. All, you know, hit two years here, two years there. But the thing that was, the continuity was with comic books. Yeah. Uh, I was always reading comic books, so they had comic books in Japan and Hawaii, wherever you were. The uh, you know the army post is kind of the same everywhere, so we could get comic books and monster magazines. So that was the constant uh, thread, and I always wanted to make comic books. Mm -hmm. Did you did you, did you did you have a particular favorite comic? Beat me to it. Well, I liked Two Rock, Son of Stone, which was an old Dell comic that had Indian American Indians and dinosaurs. Yeah, James James just per James just perked up when you said that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, <laughs> Out of the, um, they they made video games of it and all that you've probably seen, but you know there wasn't a lot of dinosaur stuff in those days. Um, so whatever you could get was really special. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite? I don't know what it's like growing. Huh? No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just gonna say I don't know what it's like now when so much is in everybody's fingertips. Yeah. But you know, obviously it wasn't like that back then. So. Right. You know, famous an issue of famous monsters was like a gold mine. You know, and there were a couple of cartoonists that I really loved, like Carl Barks and John Stanley. Oh, wow. And I didn't know who they were because they never had their names on their comics. Right. But I knew they were good, and I knew that a John Stanley John Stanley wrote and drew Little Lulu comics for like twenty some years, which were just great comic books. They, it wasn't like a little girl's comic; it was like a kid's comic. It was wonderful. 
um, but he never had his name on it. And Carl Barks, you know, he did Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck, and it was a right. Walt Disney's Uncle Scrooge, Donald Duck, so nobody knew who Carl Barks was. But his stuff was superior. And so I got a lot of inspiration from these. And Jack Kirby, I would see Jack Kirby's art in uh, odd places like Challengers of the Unknown. <laughs> he did Green Arrow for DC and stuff. Yeah. Right. And, you know, before Marvel, you know. And so there was a handful of people that were very inspiring that I really liked and made me want to draw. And made me, I used to want to be Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. <laughs> draw comics, you know. And um, when I, geez, I don't know, I don't want to bog you down with too much. No, we're, this is fascinating. We're loving it. Keep going. Because I, in this <laughs> And the problem is, is you can't see our faces, but we're actually doing all those nonverbal cues of agreeing with you. Yeah. The three of us, <laughs> what makes us great, or what, what makes us interesting, uh, despite other people, is is that we all have different interests. And yeah. James and Chad are very much the comic book people, and they're sitting here doing like, this. Like, for example, I own a collection of Jack Kirby's run on Green Arrow. So... <laughs> So, yeah, I love and I love it. So, <laughs> and James was very familiar with the uh, which one was it earlier? Yeah, yeah Turok, Son of Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So we we all have different interests, and that's the reason we were all sitting here doing this. We we, we can we're following yeah. you, and it's fascinating. That's not, that's no, that's good. It's good to know who I'm talking to. Yes, yeah. That you know what I'm talking about. Right, yes, sir. And I was trying. I was sitting here trying to figure out how in the hell you got a copy of Uncle Fory Famous Monsters in Japan. That had to be impossible. Did they even have it in Japan? Uh, yeah, because Army Posts had the Post oh. Exchange or the, P, the PX. The PX, were. right, yeah. You know, and at the PX, they'd have comic books and magazines. Now, I had an older brother. I was born in 1950. I forget when Famous Monsters came out. It might have been 55 or 4 or somewhere like that. I'm not, I actually don't know the, the exact date either. Yeah. Yeah, but it was early 50s. I was too little who have really known about it, but I had a brother about five years older and he was buying those things. And so I would get Famous Monsters, you know, his copies. Because yeah. eventually he, he turned into a normal person and <laughs> got lost interest in all that stuff. And you did and not. I never, I never did. So I, you know, I got all his monster magazines and, you know, he used to listen to rock and roll music. So I would hear, uh, you know, Little Richard and Chuck Berry and, Screaming Jay Hawkins, right. and, uh, the great, the great uh, musicians, and I was I was thoroughly um, uh, Bo Diddley and everybody. My Bo Diddley was my brother's hero, and he actually got to know a lot of those people. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, he was friends with Chubby Checker, for instance, for like many, many. He still is, actually. Wow. Oh. So, yeah. So we, you know, I had I had my brothers. He was the perfect age to be listening to rock and roll and reading comic books and Mad Magazine, EC Comics. Right. I was a little bit young, but because of him, I was able to get exposed to that stuff, whereas without him, I might not. So it, <clears throat> that was real important. Yeah. You know? and, and then in the, so my dad retired from the Army. We lived in upstate New York in uh, Columbia County, which is kind of near Albany. Uh -huh. Albany is like maybe half an hour to an hour drive, so you would go to Albany to, to screw around. And um, you just go to used bookstores and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and um, then I went to college in Syracuse. I was going to go to Providence, uh, to Rhode Island School of Design, where I was accepted. But the, I, I had a scholarship in New York that I could only use in New York. So I went to Syracuse.
uh-huh. where it was cold. <laughs> it, was, it, was very, it was, you know, late, early 70s, you know, so we were very busy experimenting <laughs> Oh, uh, entertainment. Experimenting? You mean like you were going out late listening to rock and roll music and, and drinking that sugar water? Or you weren't smoking the marijuana, were you? <laughs> Doing the acid? Oh, <laughs> Sorry, keep going. I mean, I know I only used drugs once for about 17 years. <laughs> oh, it reminds me of a line from Caddyshack. Do you do drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's what we did, you know. Right. What was done. And I just, I saw underground comics when during those years, you know, which were like shocking, actually, you know, if you... Like Crumb? You know, you love, you agree, yeah, Crumb and Zap, you know, but uh -huh. the Crumb stuff was more um, entertaining and fun. And, but there was S. Clay Wilson and people like that were in there with there was stuff with, which was way over the top, yeah. gross and violent, you know. It was kind of shocking to see that in comic books. Um, and Wonder Warthog, you know, Gilbert Shelton was, uh, did the Freak Brothers and all those. Yeah. I had seen him in Help Magazine. Harvey Kurtzman did Help Magazine. Uh -huh. yeah, and um, we used to read that. You guys ever see that? I'm familiar with it. Uh, only reason I'm familiar with it is because of uh, Terry Gilliam. Oh yeah. Wanted, right. Am I right that before he be before he became famous for Python, I think he worked for Help Magazine, or that was his dream. Yes, he did. Am I correct about he that? Did. He, he, he did. And you know what Fumetti is? I'm I slightly, but explain it a little bit more. By the way, you should have been impressed that we were able to pull that one out, but I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fumetti is uh, using uh, comic books that use photographs. Right. Oh. National Lampoon used to do Right, 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 right. That, that was Fumetti. And Terry Gilliam did some Fumetti stuff for Help Magazine, one of which starred John Cleese. Oh, yeah. It's really, yeah, it's a really twisted, funny story about a man that has... Uh, designs on a Barbie doll. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I gotta go check. I gotta go track that down on eBay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's. It, you know, it's floating around. But anyway, you know, I knew Gilbert Shelton and Robert Crumb were in Help magazine, both of them. Right. Uh, before the Undergrounds, and so when I saw the Undergrounds, it was kind of like, oh my God! You, I mean, normal people, anybody can do comics. You don't have to work for DC or Marvel, you know, there's other ways to do comics, so that was such a, like, you know what you mean? You don't have to have right, their right. approval, yes. you just have to have the willingness to sit down there and do the work, Yes. but it opened up, you know, these possibilities, and I, I met a friend in Syracuse, um, you know, it's funny how certain little events change your whole life, mm -hmm. and it, it, I was driving. Syracuse was the only town in the whole world that didn't have any comic books. <laughs> I, I could I could not find a goddamn comic book in Syracuse <laughs> to save my life. And and I know that sounds insane, but it, I just it was there was no place. So um, there was a town Utica that was about an hour away. Yeah. And they had one of those good old cigar stores they used to have. They called them cigar stores, but they were kind of like 7-Elevens or something. You know, they had books and magazines and cigars. Absolutely. And whatever else, you know. Yeah, so they had a, there was comic books there. So I was driving one day to buy uh, some Jack Kirby. 
comics, like Commandy and New Gods and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And um, we were stoned, and we're driving me and a friend from the college. We, we, we yes, we did. We, we smoked some marijuana, <laughs> and we were driving to the comic book store, yeah. and we're going down the, 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 the throughway, and there's a guy hitchhiking. And this is the really weird thing, because I was not going to pick the guy up. Not because I didn't really, was unfriendly or anything, but we had a Dodge truck that had one of those cab over engine things. So right next to you as the driver is this big hump where the engine is. I know exactly what you're talking about, by the way. I, okay. My dad was a mechanic, and there was a guy who had one in the 80s who brought it in all the time. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not that, you know. So if you have more than two people, somebody has to sit on the hump. Yeah. Yep. In the middle, because there's that, that's it, you know. So I just I don't know why, but I was not, I'm not going to pick the guy up. And the guy who I was riding with said, "Why don't you give that guy a ride?" And I went, "Okay." So I pulled <laughs> over and he got in. Now only because this guy said, "Why don't you give that guy a ride?" Did I pull over and this guy got in and they introduced himself his name was Warren Greenwood and he was a cartoonist uh -huh. and I said oh really I like cartoons and comics and stuff and he said well where do you live and I, I gave my address in Syracuse at the college then I dropped him off at his destination went got comic books went home forgot all about it the next day there's a knock at the door and there's Warren Greenwood <laughs> and he, he, he brought his stuff his comics with him and uh I, I, he showed me his, his cartoons and his drawings, and I showed him my artwork. And he said, "I like your artwork. Why let's let's work together? Let's do want to want to do comic books." And I was like, well, "Sure, you know," because Warren was a writer. Yeah. And at that time, I thought, "I can't. I don't know what to write." You know, I if so. The fact that oh, here was a writer, so he could do that part, and I could draw. So, you know, we we started to do comics together. And then uh, Vaughn Bodie, you guys know Vaughn Bodie, Cheech Wizard, and all that. Now you lost me on that one. We're, we're, we we kept up with you for a while, and then you lost <laughs> us on that one. Sorry. Well, well Vaughn, Vaughn Bodie did a comic strip called Cheech Wizard. It okay. Was a funny looking little lizard man. And it was an underground comic, and he was in the National Lampoon. And mm -hmm. Vaughn Bodie was. He also made this movie, Wizards. I, I, I am familiar with Wizards. I have seen Wizards. Yes. That isn't Wizards directed by uh, Ralph uh, Bakshi, right? Yeah. 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 Fritz the Cat, right? Wizards. Fritz the Cat, same guy, right? I, I was Ralph Bakshi, yeah. sorry. Yeah, okay. which he stole from Robert Crumb. And, right. You know. Yeah. Anyway, Bakshi was going to make a movie called War Wizards with Vaughn Bodie, and it was based on Cheech Wizard. Mm -hmm. And now Vaughn Bodie died a year later or so, and so they just went ahead and made it into Wizards. Right. So the movie that got made, it, it was a, there was a lawsuit about it and all kinds of stuff. It actually was, a, uh, you get mixed reviews about him from a lot of people. But Well, I've actually never... Anyway, Vaughn Bodie... Go ahead. I, I, he had gone to Syracuse. Uh-huh. And, and that's where I was in school. So he came from Hollywood to talk to the illustration class. And we, me and Warren met him and he talked about working for the National Lampoon and working in the movies and underground comics and all that stuff. And he said, if you guys ever come to L.A., you know, make sure and look me up. I'll uh, introduce you to some people. So Warren, the guy that I picked up hitchhiking that I wasn't going to pick up, we, he moved to, uh, to Hollywood and he met Vaughn Bodie and Vaughn introduced him to George DiCaprio, who was Leonardo's father. Oh. Leonardo was like a baby. 
Yeah. It was like a little uh, two two years old or something then. And um, uh, George DiCaprio worked with, uh, he distributed underground comics in Hollywood and Los Angeles. And so he became friends with Warren. So I'm sitting there in upstate New York looking at, uh, you know, some trees and stuff. And <laughs> Freezing to death. And <laughs> writing me letters about how he'd gone up to San Francisco and he met Ron Turner at Last Gasp and went to the Ripoff Press and met Gilbert Shelton and met Robert Crumb and George DiCaprio had introduced him to all these people and I'm sitting there thinking, shit, you know? <laughs> I, 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 me too, you know, I'm, uh, I'm missing out. And uh, so I moved uh, to, to California and me and Warren shared a place for a while and then I got my own place and while I was here, I, I discovered animation because Warren had started to working working in animation yeah. and Hanna Barbera, you know, doing Super <laughs> Friends and stuff like that. He was doing in betweens and storyboards, and mm-hmm. I had never really heard of storyboards, but I saw them and I went, "This looks like comics, kind of," you know. Right. And I thought, "Well, maybe I could learn how to do this." And because you know, it's hard to make a living as an artist. There's not a lot of fields. At least there wasn't then, where just a cartoonist, artist type of person could actually make a good living. Right. And suddenly I was, oh, animation. And I was in the right place where uh, Filmation and Ruby Spears and Hanna-Barbera and, uh, what do you call it, the Patty Freeling. There was all these studios Mm -hmm. that um, were doing cartoons. And the cartoons were all being done here. They hadn't started farming the, the workout to overseas yet. Yeah. So there was lots of work, and so I, you know, I helped Warren with his freelance work, and then I got a job at Marvel Productions, and started to meet people and learn about animation. Larry Houston was one of the people. Larry worked at. He was with one of the X Men producers. He's kind of another old fart that people are interested in now because he, you know, did this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, Larry taught me about storyboarding, about film. And that's the thing about storyboarding is film is not the same as print. You have screen direction and you have these certain rules, not a lot, but there are certain rules that apply to film. Right. That are unique to film. And so uh, Larry helped me with that. And Art Vitello was a producer of a lot of shows like Gummy Bears and, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, Duck, I think, oh, Tiny Toons and stuff like that. He did those later. But Art was a friend and he also had a lot of experience in two of those guys kind of explained to me the ropes about storyboarding and but I wanted to I was getting excited about movies George DiCaprio had introduced me to Bill Stout and um, William Stout yeah can I ask you something about uh, can I ask you something about the DiCaprio family please tell please tell me Leonardo DiCaprio was one ugly ass baby (laughs) (laughs) no he was he was he was cute damn it (laughs) (laughs) And you know what else? He was just the nicest kid. Oh, hell. When my son was a little kid, like three years old or something, Leonardo was so nice to him. And kids Leonardo's age, I guess Leonardo was just getting his first work on like Growing Pains and shows like that. Yeah. Yeah. And kids that age generally didn't really have any time or patience for little kids. Yeah. But Leonardo wasn't like that. You know, he was so nice to my son and stuff so he was really and you know George helped me so much George got me the job doing the Timothy Leary comic oh yeah and George helped uh, so many people he I'm so happy for them because if 
anybody in the world deserves success, uh, George and Leonardo and, you know, all of them do. And it's like just a fantastic to see what's happened to them. Um, so... Well, damn it, that's not a good story about... That, that's, that's a wonderful story. That's not a good story about, about dirt and about treason and about backstabbing. We're joking with you. Yeah, We're yeah. joking with you. No, uh, yeah, Williams... No. I have met William Stout. I have met... I, although I'm not friendly enough with him to call him Bill Stout. He signed my... Re I met him at a... Uh, oddly enough, he goes to a model convention quite often in Louisville, Kentucky. And he... Oh, well, the man, what is it, that Oh, uh, Wizard Con? No, it's not Wizard Con. No, it's, uh, uh, Wonder, Wonder Fest. Wonder Fest. Oh, have you been there? Yeah. Have you been there? No, I haven't. I used to go to the Mad Model parties and stuff that they had in LA. I go to Monster Palooza now that they have here. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I usually see Stout and a lot of other people at these shows. Yeah. So Stout. Um, he was very friendly and he was very outgoing. He was signing for free, which always you know, always appreciate. But um, yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get off on on a tangent there. No, no, no. no sorry. It all sort of overlaps. That's why you know yeah. I'm finding myself talking about animation and you know uh, there's there's all these threads going on at the same time. So it the chronology sometimes gets away from me. You know when I'm trying to say this happened and then that happened because you know. Well, it may like, oh wait a minute. Well, it makes well, it makes complete sense because that's how life happens. You make connections, and those connections make connections, and that's where your career comes in. And that doesn't necessarily have to be Hollywood. That's any person's life, right? That's how you get a job often. That's right. And when you know things, you know, it seems like oh, and just something just came out of nowhere. Uh -huh. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes because you did something. Yes. And you know, you laid the groundwork for this thing and that thing, and. Maybe you forgot all about it, and it seems like stuff comes out of nowhere, but yeah. but you're right, it doesn't. It doesn't, no. No, it's just where, luck is just where preparation and opportunity, you know, hard work and opportunity meet, to me. That's what luck yeah. is. Does that make sense? It's like, there's an opportunity, yeah. and I did a lot of hard work, and I got that opportunity, and that's that's what luck is. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I picked up this hitchhiker, and he yeah. ended up, we working together, and he moved out here, and I moved out here, because he moved out here. Right. If I hadn't picked him up that day, I don't know if I'd ever have come to California. Right. And if I hadn't come to California, I wouldn't have gotten to work in movies or animation or any of that stuff, so... What do you think you would have done? Do you think thing. you... Do you think you would have ended up in New York City? Do you think you would have worked up, or ended up working in advertising, or what? What do you think you would have done? I, I don't know. I wasn't. I, 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 have, I have no idea. I know I wasn't good enough to draw uh, comics then. And if I went to Marvel or DC or mm -hmm. they were the two main right. places you could go, I just didn't have the skills. And um, I wouldn't have been able to get a, a job for them. We went to see Neil Adams in New York to his studio. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! And we, all, me and Warren, Warren Greenwood, the guy I told you about. Mm -hmm. We went to the National Lampoon and we showed him our comics and we did not get work. And we went to Neil Adams and Neil Adams looked at my stuff and he was very critical. And I was sort of disappointed because, mm. you know, you want people to tell you you're great. Right. And they're not doing you a favor by telling you you're great. No. No. You stink. Yes. You know? And so it's more honest, you know, and if you go to somebody and you say, here's, here's my work, what do you think? Well, you're asking for it, and if they don't like it, 
and they tell you what's wrong with it, um, you know, you really can't complain about that. I've talked to Neil Adams. If yeah. you start talking, he'll, he'll talk your ear off, which, you know, that's okay. Um, but he was very nice to us, and uh, he let us come to his studio, and he showed us how he worked. And he would do his store, his, uh, lay out his comic book pages on like a thumbnail, and then he would use one of those overhead projector things to blow up the page, to blow up the thumbnail, and then draw it on the real paper. And he was showing it, you know, his technique and everything. And the thing was, you know, he was critical of our work, but he was telling the truth. You know, yes, it was okay. Absolutely. Um, anyway, and so when, when also when I got out here, I met. Um, well, we went to San Diego to the Comic Con. I guess it was 1976, and uh, when it was not a big then, deal, right? No, it was at this hotel <laughs> called the El Cortez. Yeah, everybody loved it, and mm. it was it was uh, it was a pool, you know, like a public area with a mm. pool, and Jack Kirby and Neil Adams and all these people would just be hanging out out there, and fans could come up and talk to them, and and you could uh, you could show your work to publishers. It was just so much fun yeah yeah and it was all about comics and it wasn't anything about movies and it wasn't you know this monstrosity that it's turned into right um you know that was that was years to come so that was really really fun and i was lucky to to meet george dicaprio and get introduced to all these people because he i don't know how it came about the timothy leary comic but george had met timothy leary and he wanted to do uh somebody came up with the idea why don't we adapt your latest book into comic book form and for some reason or other I got suggested so I got the job and we met with Leary a few times and um, he was very funny very very funny guy high as a kite but really nice you know so right. we, we had fun and uh, um, just one of those things that you do you know and George introduced me to a guy <laughs> who ran a head shop on Hollywood Boulevard and he said he was a psychic. Uh. And he was looking for somebody to do past life portraits of people. <laughs> and yeah, and George introduced me. He said, well, you know, my friend Pete is an artist and, you know, he needs work. Um, and so we introduced him. So this guy invited me to these psychic fairs. And a psychic fair is kind of like a flea market-y kind of thing where they have palm readers and crystal ball readers and... <laughs> Tarot card readers. Yeah, believe it or not, like there, believe it or not, there is one here every month. And there is a. Oh well, there you go. There is a huge. Now, a, they they, uh, they we there is a movie there's a horror movie convention that happens here, and it's called Scarefest. But I mean, forty or thirty percent of that convention is is those people, and they have a mystical fair every month, and there are a ton of them around here. So yes, we are familiar. Keep going. Yeah. Well, people love that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. There was a woman named, named Tamara Rand, and Tamara Rand was a blonde, beauty type of woman, and she was like the big hotshot psychic, and she had the Rand Hypnosis Institute yeah. down on La Cienega, which is a very West L.A. kind of a, a high, toward, toward Beverly Hills, uh, sort of a high-end part of town, you know. Right. And this guy knew her, and she would give us an office at these psychic fairs, so I didn't say anything. My job was just to sit there, and the guy would sit you down, and he would say, uh, he had this real, real deep, I can't do his voice, <laughs> but he had this real deep, sonorous voice, you know, and he'd be, okay, I want you to sit down and, uh, and relax and, uh, and think about some place that you're very comfortable, and, uh, and, you know, you may be in a boat going down a river and blah, 
and uh, you know, you uh, you you were killed by a tomahawk in, <laughs> in, your, in your last life, and uh, you were a, a you know you were a pioneer's man, and you lived in Kentucky, and uh, <laughs> you were very tall, and you had blue eyes and a big scar down your cheek. And now, while he's starting to describe, I'm starting to draw a picture because, like, the police description, you know, right. and and I'm just I don't I'm just making shit up. Amazing how no, it's amazing how no nobody has a boring past life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. And and the thing is too, the guy was very um, hip to how to handle people psychologically. Sometimes people would ask him a question, and he wouldn't answer. <laughs> and he'd sit quietly and he'd think, and then he'd sort of say something, you know, unrelated to the question. Yeah. And I asked him later once, you know, on in between times, I said, "What, what, 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 you, what about this?" When people ask you a question, he said, "Pete, if I don't answer it, they forget they asked." It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay. So, um, and then we would go to sometimes to rich people's houses. They would they would have a party, you know, and he would be a psychic, and all the old ladies would fawn over him, and you know, he would. Uh, you know, and I would draw pictures of the people sometimes, like, the way they look sitting there in front of me, the way they really look on one side of the page, and the other side would be, you know, them as the Egyptian prince or whoever they were, you know. And uh, I did that for a little while, but I honestly just thought it was bullshit, and I didn't like it. And I thought, you know, I, I can't do this. I'm going to these places, and this is just ridiculous. Now, I don't, you know, maybe the guy was a psychic. What do I know? I just did what I did, but I didn't like it, and I, I finally told him, I said, you can't do this. Is it, you, you, it's funny. You can make money. You felt bad about making money on that because you thought it was bullshit, but doing a movie or something else, which is also bullshit, you're fine with. And do you think it's because sure. everybody knows it's bullshit from the time I'm going in, I'm working on Child's Play 2, and everybody knows that's bullshit as they're walking in? Is that you think yeah. that's the difference? Because it is to me. We, we've talked about that before. Like you're well, it's in, a job. Yeah. That's a real job, and you're you know you're doing what you're asked to do. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I guess because um, they're both a more straightforward. We all know what we're doing. Right. You know, I've got a friend. Uh, funny is a guy, Mike Muscal. He was the um, I forget what he was on Reanimator, but he was an important person on Reanimator and some of the Brian used the <clears throat> movies. And Mike would say, you know, in the movies when everybody's working on a movie, we're all working on it, we all know it's a piece of shit. <laughs> nobody, said, nobody says anything, because if you say, you know, this is a piece of shit, we're, we're, we should make this better, this, is not, this isn't going to work. You know? If you do that, then you're a naysayer. And they don't want to hear it. Right. And so nobody says anything. And everybody just keeps their mouth shut, and it's like, because they'll, you'll get fired. Or if, even if you don't get fired, if the movie comes out and it is a piece of shit and everybody goes, oh my God, that's a piece of shit. They don't say, you know, Pete told us it was a piece of shit. <laughs> Let's promote him. Let's hire him again. They blame you. 
you know, that's, that's I, what Mike taught me. You know, they, they blame you, and that's why so many bad things get done because nobody will open their mouth. And I think personally that the more successful people get, like Spielberg, for instance, the less people around them are going to call them. On if maybe they maybe they have an idea that's not such a great idea. George uh, Lucas. Yeah, I was you about know, to say George Lucas. Right, George Lucas yeah, is the uh, is a great example of that. Yeah, and he's surrounded by people. Oh, great idea, George! I'm sure he is. You know, um, and so you know, people don't have a real honest sounding board. Yeah. But the psychic thing. This is one of the weird past life portraits. This is one bizarre um, jobs I've had. You know. Right. Um, so there was a whole bunch of that, and and then, uh, but I I wanted to work in live action movies, and right. I, did, I got I didn't want to work in animation. I wanted to work in real movies. And there was a guy named Kevin Altieri, and Kevin became one of the Batman producers for Warner Brothers, one of the big people, along with Bruce Timm and some others, that did uh-huh. the, the Batman <clears throat> successful shows, you know. Right. And Kevin had been doing storyboards for movies, and I, I had met him, and he said, I want to work in animation. Can you introduce me to anybody in animation? And he said, I don't want to join the union. I'm not sure why he didn't want to join the union, but he didn't. Uh-huh. And I said, well, there's a place called DIC. That's it's a new place. Yeah. They're non-union. And they're hiring. And, you know, you might try that. So he went over there and he got hired and he did very well. And he started a whole career in animation. Meanwhile, Canon Films called him and he said, well, I, I can't do it. And he gave them my information. Uh-huh. So I got my first job in a live action movie. And I was so excited, you know, because... Wow, this is the movies. Even if it was a shitty movie, which it was, um, I think it was called. Um, I was about to say which one was it because I don't remember I don't, seeing. I don't remember we seeing don't it. remember seeing a Canon film on your filmography, because we're familiar you with. You, you, no, you wouldn't. It was something about four, like a teen comedy for stupid guys go to Mexico and work in a hotel or something. I don't Hot know. Chili's or something like that. I think it was called yeah, There were so many canon films. And yeah. Menachem and, I mean, they just made so many movies over that time period. Yeah. Right. That's right. And so this was just, and this guy named William Sachs was the director. Now, he directed something called Galaxina uh-huh. and, uh, and other stuff. And right. so he did this comedy thing, but he was, it was my first live action movie. So there was a scene that I was supposed to storyboard, and it was two people in a car driving down the road talking. So I'm drawing, you know, like a front-on view of the two of them, where like a two-shot, then raking a, sh- a shot, raking over the driver onto the passenger, and then a reverse where you're over the passenger onto the driver, and a shot from the back seat where you're looking over the two of their heads and you see the road up ahead. And mm-hmm. I was drawing all these angles, you know, and I brought the storyboards in, and Bill Sachs said, well, where am I going to put the camera? And I said, well, you know, this and that. And he goes, no, 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 you, you don't understand. I'll be lucky to get two cameras to cover this shot. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, it was my br- first brush with reality. Oh, <laughs> live-action films deal with actual cameras in actual places. Um, in animation, it's all drawing, so you can put the camera anywhere you want. Wherever you want, right. Yeah. yeah. And that was the big difference, like, oh, you know, well, that was another little wake-up call that's like, this is this is different, you know. And then Bill did some other stuff 
that I storyboarded a couple movies. One was called, <laughs> it was called Thunder Women. <laughs> it was going to be, yeah, it was going to be just as ridiculous as it sounded. It was a tribe of post-apocalyptic warrior women who used men as slaves and stuff like that. It sounds fantastic. And, uh, it, <laughs> uh, it sounds fantastic. Good, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So anyway, that was going to be, that was shot in Israel. Yeah. And I got Lane Lisker. Lane Lisker was a monster maker guy and a makeup guy. Lane Lisker was in the Cantina sequence in Star Wars. Uh-huh. He was like the big guy, the fuzzy guy in the white fuzzy suit. Yeah. And Lane was a wonderful guy, great artist. And um, he worked and he animated the Pillsbury Doughboy and stuff like that. Oh, wow. I mean, he, Lane did a lot of things. Um, but I got him a job on this movie and he had to make a monster suit for a man that he never would get to meet because they weren't going to bring him to Israel and they weren't going to bring the actor over here so he had to sculpt and create a suit and he'd have to get measurements like well how big are his feet how tall is he you know what's, what's his waist what's this and that and they would send information and Lane had to build a suit and send it to Israel and then it just they just had to cram it onto the guy best they could it's just you know one of these wacky low budget things and then the movie right. ended up being called America 3000 I don't know why but they changed the title to America 3000 so that was but it was a monster movie it was a science fiction movie and I didn't care that it if it was ridiculous you know right um, a, a guy named David Engelbach he, he he wrote a movie for it's called Over the Top which was a uh-huh. oh yes Stallone right movie about arm wrestling yeah that was Dave, David's claim to fame and that movie did really well so his reward was he was going to get to direct his own movie Thunder Women yeah, and they they made the movie, and it was called America Three Thousand. It was so bad. <laughs> you ever have a situation where you're you're dying to laugh, but you can't? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. So we went to a screening of Thunder Women, and I brought my wife and Andrea and a friend of mine, an artist friend of mine, mm-hmm. you know, along for the ride. So we were in a screening room and we're watching this horrible movie. And there wasn't a lot of people there. There was maybe a dozen people in total in the theater. Yeah. So the movie ended and the lights came on and nobody knew what to say. The director was there, the producers were there, and it was the most awkward silence you can imagine. Because there was nowhere to hide. <laughs> there was hardly anybody there. Right. So finally, some genius came up with the, the state, the greatest statement. He said, "Thank you, David." Everybody went, "Yeah, thank you, David." <laughs> and then we had to ride, go down on with all of them on an elevator. And we're down there on the elevator, and me and my friend uh, and my wife were all absolute inside. We're dying. We're just dying. But you can't let on. Right. You know? And so there was this horrible, long, eternal elevator ride. And when we got to the bottom, we got out, we got in the car. As soon as we got in the car and shut the windows, we just exploded. Yeah. <laughs> I never laughed so hard. It's one of the hardest laughs ever because it was <laughs> held in for so long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, by God, it was a movie, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it was a start. Yeah. And, and you know, and Kevin had, we had sort of traded careers, me and, Kevin Altieri, because he got he did really well in animation, and I started working in movies. Mm-hmm. But that's another one of those things, you know. It just just happened. Connection, and then you get your toe in the door, you know. Uh, vamp, we are you guys know about Vamp. Oh yes, uh-huh. we're yes. familiar with Vamp. Yes, Absolutely. Sir. Yeah, that was the first real 
monster movie that I did. And that was so cool because, you know, I, I, I used to go to the effects shop, Greg Canham, uh-huh. the effects for that. And, you know, I would go, because nobody minded, you know, I would go to his shop and watch him making the, the, the prosthetic pieces and things like that. Right. And, you know, I was really interested in that stuff. I used to read Fangoria and Sitting Fantastique and mm-hmm. Famous Monsters and everything. And so how the special effects were done was a, a, a fascination of mine. And so to get to actually go there and, and watch, you know, in your storyboarding, they did transformations in Vamp. Well, they didn't have... Uh, American Werewolf in London and the Howling and right. that, that, it wasn't to that level you know but there were things where teeth you know big close up teeth grow big close up eyeballs change color things right. like that yeah. and we would storyboard all these little cuts you know and Vamp I did I guess they liked what I did there was a woman there named Lisa Hollingshead and I don't remember what her job was on the movie but I remember her because she recommended me she went to New Line after Vamp and she recommended me to them, and um, I was, and that's when I did Nightmare on Elm Street three. Yeah. And that's when I met Frank Darabont because he and Chuck Russell were writing partners. Right. Yeah. In those days. Yeah. So, and I got to know them, and Chuck was more of a I don't know how to explain it more like a not a grown up because that's not. Word, but Frank was Frank would, and Darabont and I were into models, monster models, and things like that. Right. And, you know, we we used to go to the kit shows together and get Billiken model kits and everything. <laughs> we were all from Japan, and so we were we, we kind of bonded over that. And but Chuck, it was more you know professional. I mean, not that he was unfriendly or anything, but I became more friends with Frank than with him. Yeah. Well, you did. A, and, you've uh, done a lot of movies. I don't mean to interrupt you, but you've done a lot of yeah. movies with Frank. A lot. Yeah, well, that's when I met Frank. Yeah. We became friends. Uh-huh. And so when he started to do movies, the first one that he did that I worked on was, I think it called Dead and Buried. Yeah. cable movie. Yeah, yes. for television. And, um, yeah. And so I did boards for that. And then Shawshank Redemption and then The Green Mile and then The Mist. Yeah. And yeah. So, I, you know, the thing is, when you're working with these guys, if you have a director that you hit it off with and they like what you do, they'll chances are they'll hire you on their next movie. But it's, it can be years in between movies. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know. You know. So you need a lot of those guys, mm-hmm. especially with Darabont, because you know, I'm especially with Darabont, because it's so every movie he he makes is. Um, art and wonderful and amazing but they're so far apart I mean we're still waiting for a new one yeah <laughs> still waiting for what? we're, we're still, still waiting for a new one for another Darabont film we yeah. haven't had one since The Mist I mean he was doing The Walking Dead for a while and then he did the Mob City show yeah. but we're still waiting on that new Frank Darabont that film yeah. yeah yeah well you know Frank had a lot of uh, I don't want to speak for Frank but I know he had you know he wrote an Indiana Jones movie yeah. he did a lot of things you know that, that didn't get made and so I don't know if he, how bitter he is about all that but you know he didn't get to do all the things he wanted to do he wrote a couple sequels to the thing that we were going to storyboard oh really gonna make. yeah so I think it was, it was there might have been two movies that were follow ups to the thing well let's talk about that for a second because I'm a huge John Carpenter fan and we, we've met him a couple of times, and 
I would like to know, was was John involved, or was it just Frank was going to do a sequel to The Thing? I, I don't know. I never heard of Carpenter's... Right. Being in, I never heard of him in connection with it. I, and they got the scripts, and they were going to do the movies. Oh, really? Then, then they didn't happen. And, yeah. You know, he wrote he wrote a Frankenstein movie, and he, he said he said does any he called me up and he said do you know anybody who knows Bernie Wrightson? Oh. Know Bernie Wrightson. We, we. And he was said you, you you do? And I said yeah. And so I introduced him to Bernie, and they <laughs> became you know because he was a Bernie Wrightson fan. Yes, we are too. Now, question: Did you meet Bernie through doing the Swamp Thing animated series, or just back, or was this before that? Well, no, because Bernie lived in Rhinebeck, New York. Mm-hmm. At that time, yeah, and James Ger- James Gurney lived there too, the Dinotopia guy. Oh uh-huh. yeah, and they had my that was kind of the part of the country where my family, my my parents lived. Right, and I would go back and visit. And one of, on one of the return visits, I actually worked for Doug Trumbull. Doug Trumbull had a studio in Massachusetts, which was close by, and it was a thing for uh, Las Vegas. Silent Running, Doug Trumbull, right? Yeah. Silent Running. I did, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to make sure I knew who you were talking about. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, Luxor was one of those um, ride films. Uh-huh. Like Back to the Future or, you know, where you're in a, uh, a, a car and the car is bouncing around. Absolutely. You're, you're not actually traveling, but you're looking at a movie that's traveling. Right, absolutely. You, you feel yeah. like, yeah. So anyway, while I was back there, I had met Jim Gurney from Dinotopia because I was a dinosaur fan. And he invited me to this, they had a first, they called it First Tuesday or First Thursday or something, a once a month uh, get together. And it would be uh, Jeff Jones and Mike Kaluta and Bernie Wrightson and Jim Gurney and Steve Hickman and other people. Um, And you know, I got to go to a couple of those because I happened to be back east visiting or, or working, you know, uh-huh. which was unusual because I lived here then. But I got to meet Bernie through that, and then uh, and I took them over to the uh, Jonas Studios. That was where they made the dinosaurs for the World's Fair. Sinclair made these life-size dinosaurs. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, uh-huh. and Jonas Studios was uh, my friend's... Um, that was their grandpa, that the, the, the great sculptor Louis Paul Jonas, that did all that stuff. So we got to, we, I took him over to the studio because everybody was interested in dinosaurs. So me and, and Bernie and Bernie and Gurney <laughs> went over there, as I used to call him. Yeah. And, uh, so I had just got to know him. Now we weren't real close friends or anything, but I, I knew him. And we, he worked on a movie uh, at New Line called My Demon Lover. Yeah. And I was, I got hired to work on My Demon Lover. And then they said, they called me into a meeting and they said, forget that. We want you to do Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Well, My Demon Lover. So we're switching you over to another movie. No offense, but, but out of those well, two, I'm no offense, but out of those two, you're going to sign a hell of a lot more autographs for Nightmare on Elm Street 3 than you are My Demon Lover. Because I bet, James, you've never even seen it, have you? No, I, I, I must Only bet. two, and we are yes. nerds and geeks, and only two of us have actually seen My Demon Lover, so keep going. I will say I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it as a yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Sorry about no, that. And see, now, New Line Cinema was not the monstrous 
corporate thing that it is. Right. It, right. it was a small studio. Uh-huh. And, you you know, Bob Shea, who ran the studio, right. you would see him going out of the offices. You could talk to him and Sarah Risher, the people who ran it, and Rachel Talalay, Rupert Harvey. All these people were around. And you, I went to Rachel with Prehysteria. I said, boy, have I got a movie for you. Uh-huh. And she said, what is it? Come on in, you know, because you could do that. Yeah. And I showed her this, the Prehysteria storyboards and sketches and things. She said, this is great. We want to do this. And we wandered into a long, protracted period where they optioned it. And I was going to get a big producer fee and all kinds of stuff. And they were talking to the Kyoto brothers and uh-huh. other people about uh, David Allen and other people about, you know, doing the stop motion dinosaur work. And, um, but it, ultimately they, they passed on it. Yeah. And I was told, and I don't know what the, you never know what's true, but I was told that Bob Shea just didn't want, it was a kid's movie and he just didn't want to make kids movies. So even though they paid us a lot of money to write a script, and we wrote a script, and I was all excited that we were going to do this movie mm-hmm. and stop motion dinosaurs and stuff, and so it didn't happen. So I ended up with that scumbag crook thief. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> I ended up with, with Charlie Van. Well, hold on. Now, that leads us to, and I don't mean to stop you there, one thing I want our audience to, I want our audience to know, because they're probably not as... as as knowledgeable about this as the four of us, including you. Kyoto Brothers did uh, uh, the uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. They did the Krites from yeah. Critters. They're really famous for all these things. I just want our audience to know that, right? I, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and Charlie and, Band. And Charlie Band. You know, in, in Pee-wee's, big, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, right. they did Large Marge. Right. And they're famous for this. But what's funny is, is if you could look at my notes here, as well as mine, as well as Chad's, we actually have tell us a Charlie Band story, <laughs> and and I promise because we have only ever met one person who didn't have something negative to say about him, and who was that? It was Peter David. Do you know Peter David, the the writer? Yeah. And, and he said that he basically demanded all his money up front, and that's the only. And, and he even said himself that, to his knowledge, he's the only one that Charlie Bandit owed money to. Absolutely, Peter David told James and I in in uh, where was it? I don't remember. Wisconsin. It, Wisconsin. He said, "Yes, gentlemen, Charlie, I'm the only pe- person you'll ever meet in Hollywood who does not or doesn't Charlie Band doesn't owe money to." It was just funny the way he said it, and. So we have in our notes, tell us a really good Charlie Band story. <laughs> well, you know, and, and you're still, you still only know one person that didn't get ripped off by Charlie Band. Right. So what was that like? Tell us, a, t- just go ahead and go off. Well, no, you know, you know, well, see, that's, that's what I mean is, you know, these things diverge. I knew Prehysteria was a neat, a neat idea. Right. Yes. And, you know, you've seen, if you know Charlie Band, movies he makes a lot of movies with little monsters uh-huh. and i had met david allen and i became good friends with david allen and i did work with him and he got me work for charlie band now i always got paid from all my charlie band work i did storyboards on a lot of his movies yeah. i was going to say before about new line if you if, remind me if you want to get back to that no go guy. ahead go ahead and finish your new go ahead and finish the new line and then we'll go to charlie band how about that i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i just yeah. it was just so funny that you got there yeah but yeah, no, New Line was, you know, they were making a ton of movies. So there was the Nightmare on Elm Street movies in The Hidden and, uh, uh-huh. um, oh, oh, God, what else? Well, it is the house that Freddie built. Yeah. The what, what? I said it is the house, literally, that Freddie built. Yeah, and, you know, Nightmare 3 
was make or break because Nightmare on Elm Street was a, a successful movie. Uh -huh. So they made the, the sequel, and I guess the sequel was bad and nobody liked it, and it was it almost tanked the whole thing. So Nightmare Three had to be good, or else for the Freddy franchise was was over. Right. Yeah. So they they put they put quite a bit of effort into that. And um, oh, and then Chuck went on to do the Blob. I did the you know the uh -huh. for him and and uh, the Mask with Jim Carrey. Yeah. So and then you know so meeting him and Frank Darabont turned into a whole bunch of movies with both of them separately. Yeah. Um, and but then you know I you always need work so here's Charlie Band and um, I did uh, one other thing I did a movie called Book of Love and it was actually a book by William Kotzwinkel called Jack in the Box that was the book and it was the funniest goddamn script I ever read it was so funny Is this... I was dying I was laughing my ass off I was just roaring reading the script and our son was a baby and my wife's like <laughs> be quiet be quiet you're gonna wake him up I go I can't help it this is so funny and then they, they made the movie and they changed it from Jack in the Box to, to Book of Love and is this the one Bob Shea, Shea di he, yeah I was about to say that's the one Bob Shea directed right I, I thought so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Bob Shea was kind of a intimidating presence at New Line. Mm -hmm. um, and he didn't smile a lot. And he wasn't a bad guy because I, I worked for them a whole bunch. And, I, you know, I didn't have any, I never had any problems with him. But he was the boss, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and he wasn't a very funny man. <laughs> and to be, for him to be making this teen comedy movie was kind of like, that's weird, you know. And um, and the movie's not funny. And, and <laughs> you know, you see these scenes that I, in the script this was so funny. And I'm looking at it, and they're saying words, <laughs> and they're they're doing everything that's in there. But it's like, why is this not funny? So I don't really understand it. But it's one of those examples of how things can change from uh, words on the page to what's on film. And sometimes things get better, and sometimes things just don't translate, you know? Right, absolutely. You, you know, sometimes you get you get licks in, too. You know, directors have different ways of working. Certain directors, they want your input. Mm -hmm. And they will ask you, well, what do you think? What's a, how can we, what's a good shot right here? And other directors just want to tell you what to draw. They You're know right. exactly what they want, and they can tell you. Mm -hmm. So you've got to figure out pretty quick how they, who they, what they, how they like to work. Yeah. And you know Chuck Russell was very specific, but he was open to suggestion. In one, one stupid little example in the mask, um, the mask is running away from some cops, and they pull out their guns and they yell "freeze." Right. And so he stops in midair. And I said, "Well, what if we put icicles on him, like turn in blue? You know, freeze." And Chuck said, yeah, yeah, draw that, draw that. So they drew that, and they did that in the movie. So yeah. you get little, you know, bits in like that, um, which can be fun, you know. Like, hey, that was my idea. Um, and what Chuck liked to do was he wanted to get his storyboards drawn the way they wanted. He did not want to meet with the special effects people yet. Mm -hmm. He wanted to work work with me up front and get everything exactly the way he wanted it on paper and then take it to them and say, do this. This is what I want. And so, his reasoning was, 
if you go to them first, maybe they will fall back on things that they've already done or they know how to do. And he wanted to challenge them. Yeah. You know, um, give me this. Well, well mm-hmm, how can we do that? And then they put their heads together and they figure it out. So that's, you know, not to digress onto that too much, but that's... Do you mind if I ask you... That was his way of working. Do you mind if I ask you a question about the mask? Especially with with you with you being your background being in comic books, and you loving comics as much as you do, was it weird for you to take a comic book that already has such a unique vision and artistic style, and turn it into your own for a movie? No, because no, because I didn't really know the mask. Okay. Okay. You know, when I went there and he said we're going to do the mask, I was like, what's that? So, and Mike Richardson, you know, who created the mask, the, the Dark Horse guy, you yeah, know, uh-huh. had a lot of books published by him and got and worked with him a bunch over the years. And, you know, he's he was always real tickled by the fact that I storyboarded the mask. That was his baby, you know. Okay. But, um, and, you know, we could go all over the place. But to get to Charlie Band, I, I knew David Allen. David Allen got me working on a ro- robot jocks or one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's directed by Stuart Gordon. I'm pretty sure Stuart Gordon yeah. directed Robo Jocks. I need to, yeah. one of these days I'd like to meet because Stuart Gordon has worked with him so much. He made so many different movies with him. Uh, that, Castle Freak, uh, Pent and the Pendulum. I could just and, go. And he, and he posts an, post an editorial column on the Full Moon website. So I'd kind of like to ask him, maybe he has a positive story. I don't know. I've never <laughs> met him, so, but, but go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, I went to an interview. For a movie for uh, Robot Jocks, and I guess the one I did was Robot Wars or something. It was some cheesy Charlie Band movie about yeah. giant, giant robots. But um, he wasn't there uh-huh. because he was late. Stewart was late, and I didn't. I, it's not like I got busy and 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 walked out. I I waited as long as I could, but I had to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Well, I'm sorry. I I, I just got to go." So I, I went, and but I had met Brian Usna in the meantime. Right. Brian looked through my portfolio, and Brian wanted to work with me. So I ended up, you know, another one of those little chance connections, and I did a whole bunch of stuff with Brian over over the years. You did Bride of Reanimator, right? Yeah. Right. And, and Necronomicon. Yeah. And, um, uh, Return of the Living Dead 3, whatever that was. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, a bunch of stuff with Brian. And Brian's an interesting character. He's a lot of fun. Um, we had we had fun together. And Brian had to fight with Charlie, you know. And somebody, uh, Charlie almost got killed. I think. I mean, I think Charlie <laughs> got killed. But not. I know he didn't get killed, but I think he was threatened because he, he of people he owed money to. And so, uh-huh. you know, I I knew when when we went with prehysteria, um, I knew that Charlie had his reputation and. But, you know, he, he went crazy over the idea. And like I said a minute ago, you know, he makes movies about dolls and right. uh, Puppet Master and all that stuff. So, it, you know, it was right in his wheelhouse, you know, like little dinosaurs. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm surprised he didn't think of it, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and Jurassic Park was in the works. So it was kind of like a great time to make a dinosaur movie. And so, you know, and... and Prehistoria was going to be like the kids' version. 
uh-huh. yeah. you know, for the for the little kids, you know. So because Jurassic Park was maybe too big and scary for the little kids, right? And um, and we, I had a great time. Charlie was a very nice guy. I you know I know I said a lot of bad things, but he was a really nice guy uh, to work with, and very friendly, very charming. Um, and we uh, we went on location to shoot Prehistoria, which is not something that Full Moon did. Yeah. Hardly ever. And I sold him a couple other things. One was called Pet Shop. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that the movies were never very good. That's the only problem. I know what it's like to have what I think is a really good idea made into a not-so-good movie. Uh-huh. So yeah. there's no real thrill in that. But my wife is a fantastic talent. Her name's Andrea, like I said. Mm-hmm. And she sculpted the dinosaurs in Prehistoria. And they're just gorgeous. The puppets are just fantastic. Oh, I mean, I loved Prehistoria when I was a kid. So. I loved prehistory when I was a kid. I loved those little dinosaurs. Yeah, I know. I meet a lot of people that tell me that. It's funny when you get to be an old fart, people tell you, like, <laughs> oh, I saw that movie of yours. Yeah, I was a kid. That scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. And you're going, great. You know? Yeah, I hope you know how hard it is for what me not to be that guy. <laughs> he has been really excited about to talk to you about so many different things. Yeah. He's trying to control it. We've all been excited, but... But Chad has been really, really excited. That's, that's Chad has been the one who's really reached out to you. Depending on who it is, when we have these people, or when we have production people, writers, directors, yeah. we usually reach out to the ones that we're the biggest fans of. And Chad's just been so excited to have this conversation. Yes. Well, no, that's, that's nice. That was our first part with Peter Von Schaley. We're actually going to cut this into two different episodes. Tune back. Because he had because he had so many amazing stories. Amazing stories. The Sam we, Raimi, John Landis stories in the second episode. And we're going to talk to him a lot about his artwork that he's still doing and the books that he has coming out that you can actually still check out. So tune in to the second part of our Peter Von Schaley episode. Thank you so much. Kisses. You didn't do a kiss, James. Kiss, James! I don't kiss and tell. Tell him to lean over. <laughs> Two, three. Welcome, welcome to Bonehead. We didn't even say it right. I was gonna go. I was gonna be a jerk and go. Welcome <laughs> to Bonehead. You don't need to try to be. Somebody's a jerk, been so. reading the LSD comics. The promo starts now. That's probably a better promo than the one we did earlier. Uh-huh.